I'm Jim Collison, and this is Gallup's Called the Coach, recorded on January 26th, 2022. Call the Coach is a resource for those who want to help others discover and use their strengths. We have Gallup experts and independent strengths coaches, share tactics, insights, and strategies to help coaches maximize the talent of individuals, teams, and organizations around the world. If you're listening live, love to have you join us in our chat room. There's a link right above the us there on the live page. Click on that, sign into the chat room there on uh, YouTube. I would love to have your questions during the program. If you're listening after the fact, you can always send us an email with your questions. Send that to coaching at gallop.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Call the Coach on your favorite podcast app or right there on YouTube. Click the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode. Sarav Atri is our host today. Sarav is the regional leadership coach and workplace consultant for Gallup out of our Singapore office. Sarav, I'm not going to lie. I'd like to be there with you today doing this live. I can't, but welcome back to another Call the Coach. Thank you, Jim. And uh, you know, good morning, good evening, and good night, depending on which part of the world you're in, from sunny Singapore. And we also have Jim in, in the U.S. in Omaha, as well as Derek from Australia. So we've got pretty much the whole world represented here from different time zones. And it's so good to be back on Call to Coach. And uh, I've been really enjoying listening to these Call to Coaches over these years, Jim. There's so many amazing nuggets, and I hope you're watching as well. And I love hosting this as well. So let me get started introducing our special guest for today. I am privileged to introduce to you our guest, Derek Leong, who's a managing director at Accenture Australia. And he's been with Accenture for over 15 years, leading high performing teams uh, to successfully deliver large scale system change initiatives involving hundreds of people and thousands of man hours. You can imagine, you know, these technology initiatives takes a lot of time, but also a lot of contribution from people. And he's been working with his teams over so many years, creating human contribution. That's powerful. And you know, he himself, you know, and having known him for a couple of years now, he's a very people-focused leader. And that's why he even invested in his own development of becoming a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach. So all the coaches are out there. He's part of the community as well. He's also a Certified Strengths Coach. And uh, he's been using strengths as a foundation to drive performance and retention with his direct reports and hundreds of people that are reporting to those direct reports as well there. And uh, over the last years, you know, especially during the pandemic, you know, it's been a, well, let's be honest, it's been tough times for every, everyone out there. And Derek has been navigating these worlds, you know, these complexities we deal with, and has been experimenting with a few techniques uh, to successfully scale the use of strengths within an organization, while also helping each individual in his organization achieve happiness and fulfillment. He's also very active on LinkedIn, just like me. So if you would like to follow his advice about technology or leadership or coaching and career guidance, you can follow him there as well. Derek, we'd love to hear you uh, talk about what you do at Accenture and your top five fee. Uh, thanks, Aura. <clears throat> Hope you can hear me. Uh, and uh, well, <laughs> that was a great introduction. But uh, first, thank you, Jim and Saurav and everyone listening for giving me the opportunity to share our story. And I hope you find it helpful. First off, uh, I would like to state that the opinions expressed today are my own and I don't speak for my company, Accenture. So uh, with that out of the way, uh, my top five teams are individualization, relator, learner, arranger and responsibility. I apply my top five to most aspects of my life, family, people and clients. I use individualization to appreciate and cater for what's unique about the people or situation. I use Relator to get to know the people involved at an intimate level. I use Learner to always apply a beginner's mind, and I use Arranger to be flexible and efficient. Finally, I use Responsibility to get the job done and meet my commitments. For all those of you out there listening that know me, uh, the last one wouldn't be a surprise as I'm also the eldest child in my family. So in a nutshell, I bring fresh perspectives and insights to people to help people achieve their goals. And, and uh, I know, Derek, you've been very passionate about human engagement and strengths as well. Tell us about your why. What makes you passionate about this science of both strengths and engagement? Oh, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to share. I'm passionate about employee engagement because of two things. One, professionally, 
I've seen the significant competitive advantage an engaged workforce can provide, especially in terms of productivity, innovation, and retention. Personally, I live for the moment when I see someone else's eyes light up after a coaching session has made them realize their untapped potential. And if you think about, you know, being in that moment, being that manager to all these people, especially with the virtual world as well, and it's hard, no doubt about that, trying to engage people virtually, Derek. So what's your advice around how do you then, you know, in this complex world, move the needle on engagement? And for your teams as well, Derek, I know there have been some, you know, insights you'd like to share around how did you achieve that shift in both the emotional contributions and also their well-being at work. So what? What did you do? What's your advice for people who are listening in to do that? Oh, thanks, Sarah. Um, well, I have to admit, I was quite nervous about speaking here. So I gave this some thought beforehand. And I'd like to share my, my answer around three pieces of advice on how my team and I moved the needle on engagement. So the three pieces of advice i like to share are one, get leadership support. Two, get data and context at the team level, and three, recognize that engagement is personal and intimate. Broad measures rarely work. So I'll start the story. Um, it begins with getting leadership support, sort of. So for me, moving engagement in a large organization like Accenture is a team effort. And it's like changing course for a large cruise ship, or if you like an aircraft carrier, it takes time, sustained intent, and the use of small cost corrections. In my mind, such an endeavor is not possible without leadership support. Now, thinking back, this started several years ago when my boss, Ian Smith, and I was sitting in a small white wall meeting room, considering our latest task, which was to help turn around a struggling program. By all accounts, the team had the skills, experience and commitment to get the job done. But they were operating as individuals and mistakes were being made that could have been avoided if there was greater transparency and collaboration. I proposed we take a more people-centric approach to turning the ship around, pun intended. And Ian was very supportive and gave me the agency and encouragement to do what was needed. I want to say that back then, the safer solution would have been to double down on productivity and quality metrics instead. So thank you, Ian, for having faith in our people and me. So with leadership support, I had access to Gallup's strengths assessments and reports for all 70 plus people on the team, as well as the ability to launch Q12 engagement surveys as often as needed. With these powerful tools in hand and leadership support, within one and a half years, Ian and I transformed this program to be one of the most successful programs in the portfolio and achieved a 94% increase in the quality of what we delivered. I could not have done this without leadership support. Jim, I was going to pause here and maybe, you know, and, and the audience as well, just to see what what do you what do you both and everybody else in the call think of the importance of getting leadership support in such initiatives? Sorry, let me defer to you. I'll let you start. Um, I think Derek uh, so critical to have that leadership buy-in. Without that, you can't move the needle for a larger initiative. I say leadership is about making decisions, and this is an important decision that influences lives of people. So, absolutely, I fully concur that. If you don't have that leadership buy-in, your impact can only be limited to the people that you influence. But if you get them on board first, the impact just magnifies to much larger audiences. Jim, your thoughts? Yeah, when we think about those five steps of creating a strengths-based culture, the one of those very first steps is this uh, this idea of leadership buy-in. And, and it, it's a challenge, though. I, I don't want to paint this as a picture of being, this is, is the easy, this is the easy part to get leadership buy-in. Oftentimes, we see in organizations it can rise up through the ranks uh, from from bottom up. If we use that analogy, top down, bottom up, it is really a challenge. And I and I think it's a question, Derek, that I get asked a lot: is how did I get that? It sounded like you had 
Ian's buy-in from it. He saw that right away. What kind of advice would you give to individuals or coaches or folks that are working in organizations where maybe that leadership support is, is lacking to begin with? Do, would you have any advice on how, how could they get that started if they don't have it clear to begin with? Oh, that's a great question, Jim. My advice would be to have the conversation. Um, and again, it might be some of my related and individualization coming through, but, uh, but have the conversation with your leaders. You know, and it might not be a light bulb moment straight away, but I think through, through multiple conversations, through sharing your own strengths and even maybe convincing them one at a time to get the strengths assessment done and talking them through it, I feel that that's, that, that would make a difference too. Yeah, I love, I love what you just said. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask and you just have to take, I think, right, take the risk and, and have the conversation. So that's great. Yeah, back, Derek, back to you. No, thanks. So Derek, then well, um, first advice, oh, Derek, first advice was getting leadership buy-in. What's your second advice? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Arav. Good leading. Uh, well, uh, my second advice is getting data and context at the team level. So the saga continues, part two of our story. So thinking back again, we used to have broad engagement surveys that go out to large programs made of hundreds of people. We would get a respectable participation rate, maybe 50 to 60% of people surveyed, and then we'll get results that are averaged across this broad group. And then we'll use these broad results and agree on actions for engagement and try to address them. What we found was that we had some initial good gains in engagement, but it quickly plateaued and we struggled to make an impact or increase participation going forward. So with that context, just, um, just thinking back again, so after our success with turning that program around, I found myself in a local cafe with a cup of cappuccino in my hand, having a chat with my boss's boss, David Hoskin. David has always been a strong people advocate, and he shared that the situation with the broad engagement surveys and general actions has been on his mind. So hearing about what we had achieved by focusing on people, he challenged me to replicate the same success, but this time with the wider portfolio of programs made up of roughly 480 people at that time. Now, my first thoughts were, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and this is on top of my day job. It definitely didn't help that when I shared this with my boss, Ian, his first reaction was to laugh and say, don't mess it up, Derek. Next, I got together with our HR lead at that time, Sonia Lynch, and we got stuck into it. By chance, we came across a case study describing Google's Project Oxygen. For those that are not familiar, Project Oxygen was a multi-year study by Google to answer the question if managers still mattered, especially in our age of agility and flat hierarchies. I took away two things for Project Oxygen. Managers still mattered, and they play a significant role in an employee's organizational experience. The next thing I took away was create a cool name for your project to get others to rally behind. <laughs> so inspired by Project Oxygen, Sony and I created Project Courage hoping to inspire our people to have the courage to ask and give honest feedback. Project Courage used Gallup's Q12 survey to get engagement data at the local team level. And when I say team, I mean an average of about eight to 10 people per team. We wanted data that was specific to that person's experience at their local team level. Project Courage then used Gallup's strengths as a common language to have meaningful conversations regarding those results. We ended up with 97 participation across hundreds of people with results relevant to their experience among one of 60 teams. We finally had the data at that granular level relevant to an individual's local team experience. That was lesson two. I'll pause here. Um, Jim, sort of keen to hear your thoughts. And, and the people uh, on the chat as well, you know, 
what do you think is the Enrique, importance of understanding an individual's local team experience? Enrique, I have a question for you building on that. You know, the average participation rate on engagement surveys is normally 82%. How did you get to 97%, which means people wanting to share the opinions? What are your thoughts on that? What was the big, well, insight for you in creating that 97% participation rate? Oh, that's a great question, Saraf. And I, I don't want to tease a bit of the, 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 the part three of the story, but uh, I think getting to the participation rate was just making it real, in my head at least, to the team members. So, you know, when you think of broad generic surveys, sometimes you don't know where it's going or, or how you're going to answer it. Like, are you answering at an organizational level or are you answering at your team day-to-day -day level, right? So, so by doing it this way, where we say, okay, I want to know what is your experience day-to-day? -day? How are you experiencing your world? in your team, um, I think that uh, that makes a big difference because then we could have team team leaders talking to individuals and just telling them how it mattered and how it will matter. So that, that is how we got the engagement. Beautiful. Jim, any questions from the audience or for you? Not yet. We, uh, just to remind those listening live, if you have your questions, put them in chat. I'll bring them in as we go. But Derek, I've got a question uh, around, you know, sometimes we talked about skeptics of leaders being skeptical maybe, and you have to get leadership buy-in. The opposite is true when, especially in engagement surveys, where you might have individual members of the team that are a little skeptical that you're actually going to do, do something with this data that you're giving them. And they may be even vocal about it to the team around them. You know, you hate to say a bad apple spoils the whole barrel, but it can, right, in the sense of a, of a team dynamic. How did you, uh, approaching, uh, getting that high of an engagement rate, you had to do a few things to encourage them to participate in it. Did you have any pushback? How did you handle it? Or how did you prep them so that maybe it minimized that pushback? Oh, that's a great question, Jim. I think uh, the one thing that I've learned is communication. So I think leading up to it, we had to communicate it. And then once the service will launch as well, you know, we had sort of one or two weeks of sort of focus on, from the leaders uh, from the managers with to their team to say, you know, this is something that's important to us um, as a as a team leader, but also as an organization. And we really want to hear your opinion. And yes, I don't, Jim, you're 100% correct. We cannot stop the skeptics. But I think actions speak louder than, louder than words. So I would say the skeptics, I think we've got to accept and empathize. But then we've got to just continue to do what we're doing. And then hopefully they'll come around. Yeah, in that group of 100, there were three, right? If you had a 97% rate, there were three. They're real people uh, in that, and, and it makes it difficult. Sarav, I think, can attest to this as well. I think sometimes when we approach engagement surveys, we think the point is the survey itself. And while that's important, the preparation we do, the communication, Derek, you just said, the communication that is done prior, the 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 um you know the team support from the managers how the managers are going to be supported on this is very very important so the pre-work is almost as important as the survey itself did can you would you give any tips to somebody going into this as we think about maybe some of the pre-work that you guys did what did you find particularly helpful through that process that you might share with somebody else oh i've uh, i think the, the the best maybe the one piece of advice there, Jim, from my perspective is, uh, is uh, I heard something and I've always sort of lived by it since is, is communication. When you communicate something, communicate it seven times. So, so, you know, now I'm getting used to sort of hearing, <laughs> hearing myself like a broken record. But I, uh, what I realized is that not, uh, you know, people, you know, for, for good reason, uh, might, uh, might be distracted or, or they could only be there for a short period of time. And, and so, you know, think, you know, just issuing one piece of communication and in one channel, uh, you might think it's enough and everybody should should listen and, and know where you're heading, but uh, but it's, it's not always the case. So, um, you know, it, I would say um, just put yourself out there and uh, even if you find yourself repeating yourself, I think it's uh, it's important uh, to, to get the message out. Kat, Clearly, Kat, um, yeah. well, sorry, Dirk, didn't mean to interrupt you on that one. Uh, Catherine asked a question, I think, along these lines. She says, what types of communication did you utilize to prepare for Project Courage? By the way, I love that name as well as uh, the time leading up to it. Did you find yourselves using multiple channels then to get that to get that communication done? 
Oh yes, uh, yeah, it's a great question. Thanks for the question, Katarine. Uh, yeah, we, we we use multiple channels. Obviously, email <laughs> is a channel, and uh, we we had teams, so we had team channels um, that were for the wider team. So we we post announcements on teams, uh, even messages. Uh, we you know we we leading up to it was probably I don't think to answer that question was probably a month or so, and so we had probably you know, twice weekly communications. There are email, there are teams. And what we do as well, we have town halls. So again, just utilizing those town halls, uh, making sure everybody's aware of what we're trying to achieve, when it's coming out, when it's closing, what's the importance of it. So really just almost like, and, and to be honest, we even went as far as lean coffees, uh, team meetings. So you, every channel, we were just, just using it and repeating the message. And, and I think that's definitely helped. Holly makes a great statement. She says you got to be the chief reminding officer at times, <laughs> right? Excellent. Too, that's a, a great way. Steve, well, one more question before we move on. Steve asked the 97% participation rate. It was great. What feedback did you receive? And maybe don't give away what part three is if this entitles it, but what feedback did you receive from all levels after the Q12 survey and results? And I'll say, was any of it surprising to you afterwards so you got that 97 percent. was there any feedback that you got that was interesting oh yeah um i think uh if if uh if, if i look at uh, and i believe it was steve uh jim uh you know in terms of the feedback and i'm not and i, I was i'm not talking about the feedback of the actual survey but just people just coming up to the um to, to us and say you know i think one of the key things to start with me a lot of these came back to say well i always thought my team was great you know, I I I thought my team wasn't the the team that had issues, and suddenly it's just staring them right in the face. Because again, this is at the team level. This is really in in, in a sense the our team members telling them what they needed, and uh, and that was real eye opener for for a lot of the managers and team leads where they always felt it was some other there was some other team, right? My team is great, uh, and uh, and so I think you know in terms of feedback, it's probably one of the key uh, the key. Uh, the key, the key feedback that we uh, we received that was impactful. Derek, with ninety seven percent, did you guys celebrate that in some way? Was there some kind of? No, oh yeah, we did. <laughs> some kind Definitely. of moment because that's fantastic. Like I think that's another important aspect of this. When you do get there, there needs to be some kind of celebration to say, "Great job." I mean, yeah, we're going to celebrate the data when it comes out, but to get ninety seven percent is pretty great. Sarav, uh, I'll throw it back to you for part three. Thank you, uh, Jim. And you know, Derek, it's interesting you shared that capture the context. In Gallup, we say measure to manage something, and that's the power of data is, is it gives you real insights and you're not just locked into one perspective. So I'm curious to hear part three. What happened after you got that 97% you know, feedback, and what did you do about it? And what's your third advice? Thanks, Sarah. So for everybody, we have arrived at part three, the final piece of the puzzle, the finale. Or is it? Well, stay tuned to find out. So recognizing that engagement is personal and intimate and that broad matches rarely work. So for all of those of you paying attention, I still had my work cut out for me since David challenged me to move the needle on engagement, not just participation. So despite having the data with context, despite our best efforts and intentions, we didn't seem to be reaching our people on the ground. And worse, our middle managers and team leads seemed to be the most disengaged. So by all accounts, our message was getting lost in translation. So what do we do next? We reached out. With help from Gallup, we decided to reframe the problem away from solving engagement for everybody. Instead, we refocused people on having meaningful impact on those colleagues closest to them, direct reports, immediate bosses, and peers. We ended up using a framework that forms the abbreviation SELF, S-E-L-F. S for self-discovery through strengths coaching, E for empathy, understanding the strengths of your peers and team, L for language, having the common language of strengths, and F for feedback measure and recalibrate using the Q12 and one-on-one -on -one conversations. We worked with Sorov and executed self over 2021, providing one-to-one -one strengths coaching for all 40 plus managers and team coaching 
where they worked in the same unit. Where did we land? We ended up exceeding expectations by a factor of four, again achieving that high participation rate. Now, this time about 98%. So we managed to convince that one person there, Jim, um, in our surveys. Uh, and we have and we increased engagement scores for these managers by an average of 0.7 across these eight teams. And finally, increasing retention and productivity also across this management group. We managed to make engagement personal and intimate. James Saraf, what, what, what do you think about how, how we got here and what we achieved? Well, Derek, let me first say that I love that acronym you've come up with, with uh, self, uh, self-discovery, empathy, language, and feedback. I think it sticks so well. And I could see as I reflect back on those experiences, I think everybody in the organization, and I, I felt it that you were genuinely interested to help them at a deeper level. So I, I loved how you created that narrative to go deep, to understand their problem, because let's be honest, a survey is capturing people's opinions, but also you're capturing their expectation. And after giving a survey opinion, a person has an expectation, something will be done about it. Because if you don't, then it'll be destroying that engagement because the expectation get raised the moment you ask somebody a question. What I love is you went deep. You went and said, let's take this initiative to the ground and make people's lives, well, change, you know, make it, help them evolve. So I loved how you sort of narrated that in that self acronym. Jim, any thoughts from you? And I see a couple of questions also coming from the audiences as well. Yeah, Catherine was asking, um, uh, did you also take the Engagement Champions program? Sorry, maybe you can talk a little bit to that with Gallup to be able to deliver the state of the team results from the Q12. And maybe you can talk about the actual delivery, because I think for some folks, the delivery of the reports is a big mystery. Like, so how do what what do you do the day these reports come out? So Derek, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Sarv, you can add to that as well. Oh, no worries, Drew. Yeah, thanks again for the question, Catherine. So so when the results came up from Project Courage, what we what we ended up doing was getting the actually holding the team leads and you know those managers accountable for having those conversations with the team. So when the results came out, the way uh, you know we're structured the center is that is, is, is full transparency. So once the results are closed everybody gets a, a picture of the results. So, 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 so I found that really, initially I was a bit nervous when that happened, uh, but uh, on, on hindsight and post the conversations, that was, that was fantastic because kind of everybody sort of was on board. There was no hiding it. We just had to have the conversation. So we ended up having those managers, having, the, uh, having dedicated sessions with their team to talk through those results and agree on next steps. And, you know, as you, uh, Jim, mentioned about the, the strengths or the engagement champions program. So essentially what we've discovered at Gallup is also, you know, engagement is uh, an inside out initiative, which means people need to act on those opinions. Somebody needs to get together with the team and talk about this. What does that really mean for all of us? And that's where, you know, even at Gallup, we believe in empowering people within organizations, helping them understand what the, these 12 elements of engagement is and how do you make sense of it? You get a report, so what? What should I do next with it? How do I practically go back and you know have a meaningful conversation with my team to move the needle? Because I see a lot of challenges, Jim, in this one where managers get that report and they typically you know achieve a responsibilities of the top 10 strengths of the world. They said, this is my job to fix it. So they jump in and says, okay, I see this problem. I'm going to fix this, fix this, fix this for you. But in reality, engagement is when you involve people, you know, because imagine, right, if I'm going to a meeting room and I'm asking people's problems, okay, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. You're also raising expectation for them. How do people feel? Oh, it's my manager's job to fix this. So they're putting the monkey on their backs, right? So I felt and I saw that with Derek's team, it was not just him leading the way, but it was more of involvement and contribution. So people were involved in running these activities. The managers were very much engaged in all the conversations we were having. Those team conversations we had, even around strengths, they had their buy-in. And they that's, I think, from my perspective, those two advice Derek has given, or three advice Derek has given so far, getting that leadership buy-in. The second thing I saw that he captured the data to then get the influence to the remaining team members also. Because people think, yeah, I'm great at doing this job. I'm a perfect manager until the data hits them. That's when the needle shift in their brain. I need to do something differently. That's when they get involved in it that, hey, I care about my people, but clearly something is not landing. Let's do something different. 
I think that's where the shift started happening in their brains. And I always believe in that before a behavior shift can happen, an emotional shift needs to happen. The buy-in needs to happen. Data, in my perspective, created that buy-in. And of course, Derek's leadership and conviction that we need to do this made that needle move. So just on that, uh, Jim, I know a couple of people are quite curious about how did that shift the perspectives of people. So, you know, uh, Derek, I would love to hear your thoughts on how did the managers respond in terms of taking that ownership and moving the needle for their teams as well? Because that's what leadership is about, helping them make the move, right? Hmm. That's a great question, Saraf. And, and I think uh, I like to, I like to preface just to say that we're still on this journey. So, so we've we started having a conversation with the managers and getting uh, and getting the feedback on how they had what was the response from their team when they created those action plans and where to next did that work? Um, what results were they seeing as we get more and more as we redo these surveys over and over again? So, uh, so I think that's kind of uh, that's kind of where where it was sort of where. You know, it's in terms of the managers, they they were saying yes. Initially, it was an eye opener, and when they had the conversations, though, some of them were saying they were struggling to get um, the actions to be taken. And it's to your point, sort of. I think coming from uh, you know personally as well, high responsibility. When I had the initial meeting, I can I I freely admit that I took on all the actions, <laughs> and uh, and I, I apologize to my team right now because uh, because what happened was you know day to day things just came into play and. I ended up, you know, maybe doing one or two of them, but not following through on the rest. And, and again, it's, it's a learning experience for me. And and and, I, and hearing from the managers, it ended up to be and those leads. Uh, a lot of them had the same experience. And now we're trying to say, okay, similar to what you're saying, Sarah, let's 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 do it again because again, we have the data now, we have the the participation. Let's not just stop. Let's learn and. And so what we're doing now is saying, okay, don't just take everything, resist the urge. Don't take everything on to yourself and try to get your team members involved. Get the actions, um, get them involved in the actions itself. Hold them response, uh, hold them accountable, but don't be responsible for the actual actions. And there are a couple of people here who want to know what your self model was, what it stands for. Could you just sort of summarize for us those three pieces of advice as well as, you know, those uh, self model for others to just sort of uh, reconfirm that? Oh yeah, yeah, happy to. So, so for self again, uh, just repeating, it's a S E L F S for self discovery. So focusing on discovering, you know, yourself through strengths coaching. E for empathy, you know, showing empathy, understanding the strengths of your peers and team members. L focusing on using strengths as the common language, and finally F, probably the most important one, feedback. Right, measure, recalibrate, learn from future QJob surveys and continuous one on one conversations. And Derek, having been on this journey and still continuing on this journey, what's been your biggest insight that you'd like to share with the audiences listening in? Oh, uh, thanks, thanks, Raf. Um, I'll say my biggest insight is summed up by quoting Winston Churchill: "Perfection is the enemy of progress." So behind the story that I just shared, there were many failures and experiments from which we learned and persevered. I could honestly say. That if I had waited to plan out the perfect journey in detail before proposing it to either David or Ian, nothing would have happened. In fact, even when putting this story together to share today, a quote from Steve Jobs about connecting the dots came to my mind. I believe he said, "You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots." somehow connect in your future. I couldn't have summed this lesson up better than he did. Through this, I have learned to be more comfortable with vulnerability and failure. Wow, what a beautiful quote there. And thank you for sharing that story with us, uh, Derek. And now, uh, what's next in store for your teams going forward? How would you sustain this momentum because you've sort of explored partly part of success there where people are involved what's next coming for you oh thanks sir well as i said now this isn't the end of, of our story as we intend to continue our journey and we plan to work with our managers now and replicate the success of self into their teams right promoting s-e-l-f self-discovery empathy language and feedback now maybe uh we can share that story in the future. If Jim, you and Saurav will have us back 
<laughs> sometime in the future. Uh, so everybody on the audience, you know, uh, hit that button, like button, to let Saraf and Jim know how you feel. Beautiful. Thank you for for sharing that, uh, Derek. And as you think about some of the barriers, so people listening in says this sounds great. You know, you can see the big needle shift on engagement has happened there. What barriers? Uh, can they sort of learn from your experiences that they need to do differently or watch out for? So what would you say? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So let me, uh, in terms of barriers, I would say, you know, in th thinking about the three, the, the three pieces of advice, getting leadership support, I would say, yeah, you know, getting a leadership support, getting those advocates and allies is, is critically important. So I, I do, I, I do advertise what Jim is saying and not everybody's as fortunate as me to have that you know, that leadership, uh, you know, support from the get-go. So I'll say that that's one of the key barriers. And I think, uh, again, as we talked about, just having that conversation, being, you know, being vulnerable and putting your idea out there and and, and sort of working on it uh, is, is critically important. And and then next, as you said, uh, you know, again, going back to the second lesson is getting the data. So getting the data at the right level, right? So that's a barrier because if you're not solving the actual problem, then then no matter what you're doing, broad engagements, multiple engagements, you'll find that it doesn't translate down to the person on the ground. So that's a barrier. You need the data at the right level. Right? And finally, you know, again, third piece of advice, engagement is personal, intimate. So you know, just relying on broad, program, um, broad measures, you know, all-encompassing uh, initiatives, I think they are going to move a little, a little bit. But again, what you're going to see is that uh, that result plateauing very quickly. And Steve has a great question here, Derek, around what is something you might do differently or better the next time you have to run, run this initiative? Oh, that's a, that's a good one, Steve. <laughs> uh, I would say um, it's taken a while. Right? So it's, 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 you know, again, it's a long, it's, it, 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 wasn't a, it wasn't an overnight success. So if I was going to do it again, and I'll take my own advice, let's <laughs> just say, because again, I learned a lot and uh, me and my team, we learned a lot. Uh, you know, we, uh, we, 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 we had failures and we, we, we persevered, we tried again. So if I was going to do it again, I'll take my own advice. I will, uh, you know, to sort of accelerate the journey uh, to, to get where we are here, because again, this isn't the end. Uh, we, we still have to work on sort of getting to the ground level and keeping this sustainable and consistent. Derek, one of the things I like to do when I was managing our interns and our intern programs was to kind of onboard with Q12. In other words, spend some time in their onboarding process talking about why these questions are important, not necessarily asking them the questions, but we did. I mean, in a way of getting the data back, but teaching them about what it meant to, to uh, you know, to know what's expected of me or to know that, that I'm getting the opportunity to do what I do best every day. As you guys are now looking, you've gone through this experience once. Any thoughts to the formalization of, of some training around these Q12 concepts in between the gaps? You've, you know, conversations are great and you got the data and you're making some progress, but any thoughts on additional kind of using that framework for continued learning and maybe even pulse surveys here in the future on on how some of those things are going no that's uh that's a great question jim and you probably touched on one of the more recent uh, insights that we, we, we we've seen is, is 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 sort of training or empowering our leads to better understand how do you hit those key needs from from the team you know the, especially the first couple of fundamental questions which is what is suspected of you you know how can you know, how can you how how can you bring out the best in your people? So so this is definitely something top of our mind right now to say okay, now we've engaged those managers and we want to roll this out. We want to scale this, but I can't scale it. You know I'm just one person. Um, and if, if, if you look at Dave and Ian as well, they're just one peer person. How, the only way we believe we can scale this is is to to your point, Jim, training our managers, getting them to understand the importance, getting them to understand how do you address those fundamental needs of their followers. And on this uh, same concept, Derek, um, people listening in says, hey, I'm a leader, I'm a manager, and I'm, I've got my hands full doing all this work. So what does a day in the life of Derek looks like? How much time do you devote to engagement and 
what do you do to do that? And, you know, of course, you got your full day job as well. You said this is on top. What does that look like? We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, <laughs> now I'm putting you on the spot, so rough. Uh, so, uh, so I'll say um, my day, and most people are laughing, uh, for those that know me, would be just packed with uh, with meetings. Um, and uh, and so I'm, I'm sort of, even myself, I'm learning to, how do I prioritize? Um, what is important? So, you know, if I think people are important, and obviously just client work is important, how do I find that balance? So, you know, not, not putting one over the other and just making sure that I make the time. So, so one of the key things I do every day actually is, uh, is spending the first uh, 10 to 15 minutes just sorting out my calendar for the day uh, and making sure that I, you know, how, how, how much my day am I prioritizing to, uh, to work versus to, to people? And if one or the other is too low, then I, know I have a serious think about how do I, how do I, how do I rebalance that? And actually, I'll throw it. To, I'll throw in because uh, one more thing is the third. The, the, I would say the third priority that I try to balance every day is is, is my own time, so my own well-being. Because you know, not looking, I, I feel that more and more leaders need to look after ourselves. So how do we prioritize some focused time for myself? Just to understand, reassess, and and just improve going forward. So really, three aspects, you know, which is people, work, and me. That's great. That's great balance, by the way, just as we think about this. Um, Steve had asked a question earlier, too. You know, sometimes in strengths engagements, we utilize strengths champions, right? We find those informal individuals in an organization that naturally lend themselves towards strengths. They're, cha- they're cheerleaders for it, advocates. They talk about it positively. Did you Did you see engagement champions come out of the this where individuals just kind of naturally gravitated towards the system and began to become advocates, even though maybe it wasn't their role or their job to do that. Derek, any, any thoughts on that? Oh, th- thanks, Steve. Thanks, thanks, Steve. No, I think, look, I, I, it's, I, I want to emphasize again, this is not a solo effort. So, so when I, you know, when I sort of allude to team, we actually had a, a team of champions to, to sort of go off and, and make sure that you know those 60 teams, I couldn't, I have no way I could coordinate the creation of 60 teams. You know, again, eight to 10 people within those teams. We had, we had key engagement champions across the portfolio that helped, uh, that we worked together to create and you know, engage, communicate across those different programs. So I would say, yeah, that engagement champions are definitely needed. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, getting them to sort of buy in and, and drive some of these key outcomes is fundamental to, to getting uh, to getting the way we get to now. Love it. Catherine, uh, one more question, uh, maybe unless I put a final last call out to the to the chat room. But how often, as you think about the future of this, what's best case scenario for the next iteration? Because the first one's great. The second one is even better because now you've got your baseline to compare it to, right? I mean, if you're a data nerd, you're just begging for the second one. You're like, can we take it tomorrow? So, what are you? What are you guys anticipating from a frequency, Derek? No, oh, that's a great question, Jim. Again, we're learning. This is something we're learning. So, uh, so initially, when we did it, uh, the first in uh, with Project Courage, uh, it took. We we had to do it annually because I, I would have to admit that it took us a while to just sort of get the information back, assess all the data coming from sixty teams. And just understand where to next, and how do you facilitate the follow-ons, and and then and and, and then set up everything again to to launch the Q12. Because you know, I say you know, teams change, people move around, so that there's always that administrative overhead. So, so initially, it's it's uh, we're definitely looking at annually, just because of the work around it, um, pre and post to, to your uh, to your points as well, Jim. But uh, I think going forward, once we've gotten a bit more familiar, and and I say we, I mean myself, the engagement champions, the leaders, everybody on the ground. They're getting familiar with what a QTL means, how they respond, and less of that administrative pre-work needs to be done. Still important, but less. Um, uh, you know, We are looking to sort of get to a point where we're, we're, prob- we're hopefully launching it quarterly. So it's almost like pulse checks. I think maybe you, that's what you were suggesting, Jim, for the, the leaders themselves to understand how their team is, is going. Are there any small cost corrections that we could do along the way? Yeah, well, you can really begin to see progress that way, too. You know, you want to be careful. No good deed goes unpunished sometimes. And so you do this. (laughs) And then, of course, 
you guys mentioned this earlier. Oftentimes the leaders take responsibility for it and it's not always their fault, right? In fact, in most of the cases, it's not their fault. And so, but leaders get very defensive. And so I think there's that support. You mentioned this earlier. That's their support to leadership to say, like, hey, okay, we're getting this data back. This is our problem. Like, or these are our problems. Or even better, these are our successes. <laughs> like, you know, these are, these are the things we're doing. I think that's something we miss sometimes in engagement is celebrating those successes that we're having and saying, you know what, um, we're, we're getting, you know, the expectation question is number one. It's the most important question. If you're getting that right, I mean, sometimes that's half the battle in an organization of just people understanding what they're, why they got hired. I don't know why that's such a problem, but it is. And so um, uh, good good for you guys as, as we, we think about some of that frequency that works. Sarv, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think, Jim, a couple of things, you know, so uh, this is where I speak with a lot of leaders. Then, like you said, they take the score personally. This is my problem. This is a reflection on my management style. So I always tell leaders to depersonalize the score, but personalize the engagement. Because as we know, 70% of factors that affect employees' engagement is within the span of control of the manager. So yes, this is not a reflection on your management capabilities, but yes, it is a reflection on the team's environment and you have the biggest control, so you can do something about this. And to this point also, you know, having that outsider's view and the that eagle's eye view to this whole journey, Derek was taking this organization on. And my biggest takeaways from that, just watching him, observing him and seeing that can be, I think from my perspective, summarized into five C's. The first C for me would be clarity. I think I've spent enough time with leaders. What I found with Derek was that this, he had this conviction and clarity of what he wants to do, which is to really change the lives of people working with him, you know, help them be better, both from an engagement perspective and well-being. So that for me was clarity is very important. Why are you doing this? What are you going to do about this? And who needs to be involved? So that's why he said, let's get the leadership on board. And he was really committed from the uh, from the forefront, the moment he went through the, the our Gallup Certified Strengths Coaching course, we've had been uh, connecting regularly. Where he's been talking about, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? And we've been really brainstorming that together. So for me, clarity is important. Second th thing is you need champions in an organization to move the needle. You know, and he, Derek being the, the greatest champion and the first champion himself moving the needle, but he got others on board the leaders, you know, the, his team members, the managers. So having those champions are very important to create momentum around any initiative. You can't, as he said, move the needle by yourself. It's a team effort, but you need to gather the team and then you need to be the person doing the rally cry to get those champions on board. And then third was coaches, especially in the virtual world. You know, Derek and I, he being a certified coach as well, we split the people that you're going to coach this person, I'm going to coach this person. So we gave each person an opportunity to vent. And I felt that was very important in a virtual world where you're by yourself in your house, feeling lonely, have nobody to vent out to. That was an outlet for people. And we heard a lot of frustrations as well. Let's be honest, people are feeling the pressure from the external world also. And it builds up you know, at work as well. So I think that listening, venting, and also the opportunity to ideate was, I felt, very helpful. And uh, it was a great relationship builder for Derek as well. You know, when you're a coach, uh, coach manager, you get an opportunity to build a human connection with somebody as well because they share their frustration, the challenges, and you're helping them sort them out themselves. The fourth C for me was contribution. You know, I think what Derek's leadership was about bringing people on board so they want to contribute. So I've never seen conviction, you know, like I've seen from Derek's team members who I had coached as well. They were volunteering their time to record their testimonials when we reached out to them. Hey, could you share your feedback? And he said, yeah, I love to. I think this is great. And they were calling Derek's contributions and Ian's contribution and Dave's contribution in making this initiative successful. So for me, it's also about generating contribution from the team members. And finally, capture. Capture insights, success stories to create momentum for the next steps. So we actually got David Hoskins on video sharing his experiences of going to strengths. Ian talked about this as well, of course, Derek and his team members. So that created this whole momentum around, hey, you know, success begets success. So when you capture those positive stories of impact, it generates that motivation for others to also join the bandwagon. So having said that, while, you know, Derek is very humble and he says, you know, one person can't make a difference. But I felt through his clarity and conviction, he did because he paid attention to the right things.
So thank you, Derek, for this. And Jim, any other questions, thoughts, and anything that you'd like to add? I think we're good from the chat room. Uh, Derek, I, I'll, I'll say from my side, thanks for, for coming on and being vulnerable. This is not easy to do, and it's always great to have you share. We'll be excited. So the answer is yes. We want to have you back next we want to have you back when we get another set of results from you or whenever you want to share something with us be great to hear i think everybody kind of loves to see it we talk with sarv and i talk about this stuff all the time and in it seems very theory-ish right because it just does but when we have a customer on who's like yeah we did this and this is how it worked out that's pretty powerful derek do you want to add anything else any any uh, final thoughts from you uh, uh before i close this thing up no, no, thanks. Uh, I just thanks for the opportunity again, uh, Saraf Jim, and for everybody who's listening for for letting us share our story and and it's been a pleasure sort of working with with you, Saraf. Yeah, definitely. Pleasure's mine. And to all the people living, listening from Asia, Gong Si Fa Choi, which means Happy Chinese New Year and the Lunar New Year, which is coming up in a couple of days' time, and and to you as well, Derek. And and Thank Happy you. Chinese New New Year to you as well. I I figured this year I needed an extra break, so I'm taking it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna celebrate it along with everybody else. Take it, not really. We we've got a learning series uh, coming up, and so I'll be working during it. But uh, to everyone celebrating that, uh, a happy new year to you as well. Uh, Sarv, any final thoughts uh, then before we wrap it? Well, here's what I'd say: is you know you have the opportunity to invest in people. And we've got tons of courses coming up as well, whether it's around, you know, well, for your organization, you can invest in creating engagement champions. That's one. I love to teach it. You know, I, I feel so energized by it as well. But also the Gallup Global Strengths Coaching course. I'm a huge fan of that course and I love teaching it. And of course, partnering with coaches like Derek, who've been through those journeys there. So, you know, go online, check out on Gallup's website, all the uh, opportunities you have in different time zones in Asia. We've got one happening in February. Uh, India time zone, Singapore time zone, and Australia time zone as well. So uh, join join in the, the journey. We'd love to have you on board and let's invest in human nature, human beings. You know, I think this is the greatest gift we have is to create a difference in people's lives. Because when you're 70 years old, you look back, nobody would remember what targets you've hit. But people remember how you've changed their life. So let's make a difference by now, right? Jim. Very, very well said. With that, we'll remind everyone to take full advantage of all the resources we do have available now in Gallup Access. Head out to gallup.com slash Strengths. You can log in that way. Lots of great information for you there. Uh, for coaching, master coaching, like uh, Sarv was mentioning, or if you want to become a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach, you can always send us an email. Even with the Engagement Champions course, send us an email if you have questions. Coaching at gallup.com. That address is good for just about any questions that you have. Coaching at gallup.com. And uh, we'll get someone to get right back to you with that info. You can join us on any social platform just by searching Clifton Strengths. And if you're listening to this as a podcaster there on YouTube, click that subscribe button. It's right over here uh, so that you never miss an episode. I don't ask a lot, but click that like button as well. It just kind of helps us with discovery uh, in the networks, uh, in the social networks or here on YouTube when we're doing it. Thanks for joining us uh, tonight. And thanks for coming out with that. We'll say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>